are on the home stretch. Who's got a crease in your Bible? Whose Bible is flopping open to Colossians when you open it? <laughs> it just begins to do that. So, And we are at the last bit of the book of Colossians. I personally have really enjoyed this time just studying and preparing and learning myself and seeing the riches of God's Word and going slower. It's important to go slow sometimes through the Word and not just bypass. We're going to go through an interesting section this morning as we're closing up the book of Colossians chapter 4. Starting in verse 7, we're going to kind of summarize a little bit and, and, and close up. So we've been going through the book of Colossians since the end of February. That's I went back and looked in February 28th, I think was the first time in the book of Colossians. We've had a lot of breaks in there. We took a, a series out just recently and talked about the family and talked about men and women of God and the family order. So we've, we've taken a few breaks. We had Aaron De La Borda come for a few weeks in that. Of course, Dave Ogren came during that same time, Ron Radicky. So we've had a lot of, uh, of breaks in that time, but we've been trudging through. Um, and hopefully it hasn't been drudgery, but trudging through the book of Colossians ever since. And really, the theme of Colossians is that we are complete in Him. Everything we need is found in Christ, and He is our all in all. Father, as we go into the time of the Word this morning, pray that you would again speak to us. Open up our hearts, our minds, our ears, even our eyes to understand who you are, how the Word applies to us and it can affect us, God, for the better. Oh, bless our time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Remember the book of Colossians was a, the Colossi was a, a church in Asia, Asia Minor that was founded not by Paul, but by a guy named Epaphras. And he was, went there after hearing the gospel from Paul himself, went and he brought the gospel to his own people. And the beginning of the book, we learned that the reason that Paul was writing is because there was a mixture of theologies and ideas, philosophies being taught to this church. And he wanted to combat them, uh, not the people, but the arguments and the philosophy so that nobody would be led astray. So we've, we've seen that. And as he went through the course, the discourse, the course of this letter, he just continued to lift up Christ saying that he is the all, our all in all. Now we're coming to the final greetings, if you have that in your Bible this morning in chapter 4. It says the final greetings, and this was an interesting thing. As I read this, I go, what are we going to talk about here? we got a whole bunch of names that are kind of hard to pronounce, and we don't know much about these people, and, and how is this going to apply to us? Um, but uh, we're going to find read some of these stories, so we're going to do a little bit of uh, biography this morning and get to know some of these people. As we do, we're going to see that they have, these people we'll talk about today, some of them have moved on to what we want to move on. We want to move on to be mature and complete. In Christ is everything we need, but unless we grow into that, unless we mature into that, we don't have everything. We, we are not everything that we're supposed to be. So we want to grow as these Christians that we're going to learn about have done also. And so we're going to just kind of start off here. On, on some of these things, but reading Paul's comments about these individuals. And let's just go ahead and read this, this text here in verse 7. It says, 
Tychicus, or it's really probably Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? They will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Uh, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. In the last few verses here. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that likewise you read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. So we're reading about all these individuals. Some of them you go, oh, that I recognize that name. That name doesn't sound familiar. They've uh, appeared in other parts. But as we read this, it reminds me that the key to any successful team, whether it's a sports team, or a military team, I think of SEAL Team 6, you wouldn't necessarily call a military, they call a platoon, but, but it's a team, even as that, that name it came out recently in the movie SEAL Team 6, 6, that the strength of every player, of every person, at times those people who do what they do, they're never seen or heard of. You don't know their name, they're just sitting in the background, they're not in the front, but the support team, the successful team, they support, they do things, and th- sometimes they're just a few select people that are in the spotlight. But every team is made up of key players. And that's this section here. It's talking about the key players of the Colossian church and of Paul's ministry. When I think about this, I think of, of another team. And I'm going to give you some names. And w- since we're a small group this morning, once you think you recognize where these names have come from, raise your hand. Give you three names at the beginning. Vance Brand, Jack Luzma, and Joseph Kerwin. They were together. Anyone on those? Didn't think anyone would get those. That's why I did those first. Okay, let's let's go to this one. How about Gene Kranz? This one's gonna sound familiar in just a minute. Pastor Jeff's gonna probably get it first. Okay, and his oh that's who that was. How about this? James Lovell, Jack Swigert, Fred Hayes. Get your hands up. Got a few people cut there we go. And Ken Mattingly. What's that from? Apollo 13. Apollo 13. James Lovell, Jack Swigert, Fred Hayes. These, these were the guys who made the trip. Uh, of course, if you saw the movie, that's, that's why it's you know, fresh and it's, it's there. Um, but uh, Ken Mattingly was the guy who didn't get the German measles who had to stay behind in the movie, if you saw it. Who were those first people? Vance Brand, Jack Luzma, Joseph Kerwin? They were support crew. Fred or Gene Kranz, Glenn Looney, Milt Windler, Jerry Griffin, they were flight directors. Now Gene Kranz, you go, oh yeah, he was the main guy. He was the main guy. All right? Yeah, Ed, Ed Harris. 
So this was the team that made up Apollo 13. We're familiar with the crew. We remember the crew, but what about the support team that got them there? You know, the, there were some amazing scenes in Apollo 13. And one was, was after the explosion, and they had to fix the, the scrubber, the air filter thing. And they had a, they had a round hole and a, one for a square hole, and they had to make it fit. And so this team went to work in that back room and says, you got to make this fit into this, and this is all you get to do it, some duct tape and all these pieces. And they spent hours trying to figure out how to make a new air scrubber so that the, the crew could stay up there and live and not die. I don't know any of their names. But thank God for them. Right? They were important. They're the support team. So as we come to this last section, sorry about the wind today. Um, we don't want to consider the closing comments, even as I was reading them, something just to gloss over. Oh, here's the list of names. Let's just forget it and go on. There's a, some important lessons we're going to talk about this morning as we go through these. And I'm reminded, and we need to be reminded, that the need and the value of every single player and every single role. I've, I've heard one person, a pastor, actually call them in this section and the people like that the second string. I didn't like that because the second string sounds like a group of people who weren't good enough to make first string. I should probably write that pastor and say, Liz, you got to change that. That has nothing to do with about being good enough to make first string. It's about playing the role that you play, about knowing who you are, knowing your giftings, and letting your giftings shine through. So every support player is important. They're not a second string. They didn't, they weren't, wasn't it, they weren't good enough to make the first cut. So we need to know those gifts, the abilities, our callings. So we're going to see part of this group of people in Paul's letter to Colossians. And so the first person we see, verse 7, is this guy, Tychicus. Now, Tychicus is mentioned with another guy named Onesimus, and you may have heard that one. We'll talk about both of them, but these guys are messengers. Paul's, Paul's going to send them to the church at Colossae as messengers. Now, Tychicus, he's described here as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Isn't that great? Here's Paul. He's giving him a stamp of approval to this, to this guy that we don't know much about. Now, we see in Acts 20, Verse 7, that he, in, in the book of Acts, in the chapter 20, that he accompanied, accompanied Paul. In Ephesians, he's talked about him uh, in the same way as Colossians because he took the letter also to the Ephesians. Now, in Titus chapter 3 and 2 Timothy 4, it says that this was after the, this time. He continued on serving with Paul, serving him. He was his messenger. So Tychicus stayed around with Paul serving him. He might have even been one of the guys in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 who Paul said they were called messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So, so Paul spent some time and will continue over the next few years to spend time with this guy. We don't know much about him, but here Paul says he's a beloved brother. He's one of us. He's saved. He's a faithful minister. Faithful. Such an important thing in our lives. Are we living faithful? Tychicus was, and he was a fellow servant in the Lord. He was saying, he's, he's not below me, he's a fellow servant. Isn't that great? So then we go on and we see the Onesimus. Now, Onesimus, if you go, I know that name, I recognize that, because Onesimus was the runaway slave from the book of Philemon. 
And Paul writes the book of Philemon, he's talking about Onesimus. Now Onesimus probably got saved recently. He's probably a young convert, not in age, but recently saved. And he's been with Paul, and Paul's been ministering to him. And in that short time, we see that he's also called faithful and beloved brother. He was from Colossae, and that's where Philemon was probably at. Um, and he says that he was one of you. And we learn also that uh, um, he was going to be serving as Paul's messenger. Going back, though, if you read the book of Philemon, Paul was going to send him back. And it's kind of a risk. Here he was a runaway slave. He says, I'm sending you back as but not just a slave. I'm sending him back because he'll be an aid to you. He'll be a help to you. So you have Onesimus who runs away. And, and in, the, in the Greek, whenever you see the word slave or servant, here's just a little extra. The, the word is doulos, and we don't know if it's servant or slave. They have one word that they use for both sides. Sometimes in your English, it's translated servant. Sometimes it's translated slave. So you really have to know the context. And at the time, they probably understood. Um, what kind of servant slash slave Onesimus was, very likely he was kind of put himself into that servanthood, voluntary servanthood with, with his master Philemon. And so these guys are here. They're, they're going to take the message um, to these guys. But because of men like this, the influence of Paul and the other apostles was able to spread so much further. They were faithful. They were able to go and bring greetings and bring messages their service to Paul and service to ministry. Those and so many are like that. Help the gospel to be promoted throughout the world. Going on here, we've got a few more people here. and We'll call these next guys the comforters. First one, verse 10 is Aristarchus. My fellow prisoner greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. If he comes to you, welcome him. So Aristarchus, who's this guy? He says he's a fellow prisoner. So he's there in prison with Paul. He'd been a, uh, traveled with Paul at other times too. You read the book of uh, Acts chapter 20. This is kind of a history lesson. I'll try to move a little faster. Um, so he's been traveling with Paul. He nearly lost his life in uh, Acts chapter 19. Aristarchus is one of the guys in the riots in Ephesus. He almost dies there. He went to Rome with Paul at the end of Acts. So he spends time. He's faithful. And now he's in Rome, and he's sending his greetings. Next guy in, in the picture here is Mark. And now this is John Mark, who is the cousin of Barnabas. Now, there's a few things that are really neat about, about John Mark and, and his life. One, in Acts chapter 12, he was the, the son of the woman whose house the disciples were meeting in when Peter got out of prison, where Rhoda was at. This was John Mark was the son of, of this Mary where they were meeting. So Peter gets out of prison, goes and knocks on the door. That's with their house. So John Mark was in the house church where the early disciples were praying for Peter's release. He started out um, on his first missionary journey, Acts chapter 13, with Paul and Barnabas. And he was there with them, but something happened in that trip. And I believe it was Dave Ogren talked about, about what happened, but he he left in the middle. We don't know why. He missed home. He was scared. I don't know if I'd want to hang out with Paul for very long either. You know, bad things happen. Ships go down. Riots happen. People get thrown into prison. John Mark left, and that caused a feud between Paul and Barnabas. And later on, we see that, that Paul and Barnabas were going to go on another missionary journey, and Barnabas said, let's take Mark. And, and Paul goes, no. And so they actually split up. 
is a feud here going on because of, of this John Mark. So Barnabas takes Mark and, and Paul takes Silas and they go their separate ways. And from this section in here, if you read it, it says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And what instructions? I'm so curious of what was, was it that, listen, maybe they had instructions. John Mark, he, he betrayed us. He left. And, and maybe he's correcting those instructions saying, now listen, he's back with me. He's back with me. It's all good. But what, what's great here is that you see that he was restored. John Mark was restored back into ministry and back into fellowship with Paul because he pressed in. Such an important thing we're going to see here. We're going to tie him into another person. But he eventually proved profitable uh, for Paul in his service. In 2 Timothy 4.11 says that Mark is profitable for me. So he wasn't just accepted. He was, okay, fine, you're, you're okay. But he, he actually served and he became profitable to the ministry. And now he's included with those who Paul says proved to be a comfort of me. Something important to know about this guy. He is the writer of the gospel of Mark. So this coward, this betrayer, I don't know what you would call him. I don't want to go too strong, but who left gets restored and God chooses him to be the writer of the book of Mark. And I think that's so important to see. And at the end, we're going to kind of talk about these and who we are and who, or who these people are. So this is, this was just great. Now, quickly, now Barnabas wasn't here at this, at this moment, but he mentions Barnabas. Now I want to just talk about Barnabas because he's another player that we see involved in the ministry and, and at the times at the forefront. Barnabas's birth name, he was Joseph. He showed up early in the, in the Christian church. Acts chapter four, you remember this guy, but maybe didn't connect him. When they were all selling their land and bringing to the disciples, the apostles, what they had made in the sale of lands, it said that Barnabas had land. And he sold what he had, and he came and he brought it too. So that's the first time we see this guy Barnabas. But Barnabas goes on to be a teacher, a prophet in, in Antioch. He travels with Paul. Then he travels on his own preaching. Um, entire denominations say they got their start from Barnabas. So he became a pillar in the church in his own right, accompanied Paul, was a faithful minister with him and on his own. And he was the one who had a heart to see John Mark restored. Aren't you glad that not everyone's like Paul? You know, Paul was just a kind of serious guy. He was like, this is what we're doing. No, you're not coming with me. We need to get this stuff done. And Barnabas says, I see gold. We're going to restore him. There's something in him that we see. Now, Paul's got a great ministry. You can't knock it. So it's not that Paul was bad. It's that Barnabas had another part. He had a different gift that Paul didn't have. I, I just kind of picture Paul just really just definitely zealous. And, but Barnabas, his name meant son of encouragement. His name was Joseph, and when they got to know him, they said, no, we're going to call you Barnabas. You are a son of encouragement. This is one of the players we see all through the life and ministry of Paul. In, in this chapter in Colossians, we, we see this, this next one, Jesus, who is called Justice. Little is known of this guy, except that he was a Jew, because it said he was of the circumcision. And he was a fellow worker for the kingdom. So he too was a comforter for Paul. Now here's the important part, though. He was an encouragement to Paul. We don't know anything about him, but you know, nobody can produce what they're capable of producing unless they receive the right kind of encouragement. 
Nobody can produce what they're capable of producing unless they receive the right kind of encouragement. Everybody needs a Jesus justice who will encourage. Don't know anything about him, but he was just there and he was encouraging Paul. And awesome. Paul needed encouragement. So we have Barnabas, the son of encouragement. He encouraged that young guy named John Mark, and he made him profitable. And now we see Jesus' justice encouraging Paul. He was a comforter to Paul. Who are we supposed to be comforting? Everyone needs somebody to comfort them and encourage them. Everybody. You, you can look at your own life and you say, it's true. Sometimes you've gone through times, you go, nobody's called me. Nobody's visited me. Nobody's encouraging or comforting me. But don't just wait for somebody to come and comfort, encourage you. Be that for somebody else. Even the Apostle Paul needed someone to comfort and encourage him as he's sitting and waiting trial for Caesar. So these are some of the comforters that that Paul talks about. And now we're going to go on to another guy we saw at the very beginning, and that's Epaphras. Epaphras he talks about at the beginning of the book, and that's who started the church at Colossae. And now listen to some of what he says about Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayer that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Great zeal. He's always fervently praying. This is the guy who probably didn't like to pray next to him in prayer meetings. He was too loud. He was screaming. He was crying. He was praying. And you're like, you know, Paul noticed it. You know, sometimes we say, we should just pray quietly in your, in your closet. Well, this guy wasn't doing that. Because Paul noticed how fervently, how zealously he was praying. So Epaphras is so important. He was from Colossae. He really had a deep care for those, not just in Colossae, but in Laodicea and Hierapolis. He was also a fellow prisoner. Um, but what we see here is that he was a man of prayer. He was the man who prayed. He prayed consistently, fervently. Even last week when we talked about that type of prayer, this is what Epaphras was doing. Constantly, always praying zealously, fervently. And he prayed personally. He didn't just say, God bless everyone. God bless the world. God bless Colossae. He prayed personally for the believers. He knew their names and he prayed for them. His heart was set for him. And he prayed not just that God would bless them, but he prayed with a goal in mind that says that you may stand perfect and complete. He prayed, God, that they would know you and be perfected in you. Much like we could pray, Lord, I pray that Ed would be complete and know you. He wouldn't lack anything that you would live inside of him. God, and that Corey would stand strong and know you. You begin to name the names of the people. Epaphras was a prayer. He prayed. He prayed. As we move on from Epaphras, we see another guy that you might recognize his name. In verse 14, it says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Now, most people would probably agree that Luke was a Gentile, though I did read somebody trying to prove that he was Jewish. Um, but he was probably a proselyte to Judaism. And we know a little bit about this guy because 
Luke was the one who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Okay, so he's been with Paul. And if you read in the book of Acts, starting, I believe it's in uh, um, chapter 16, the pronoun begins to change. As he's telling the story, Luke writes the book of Acts. He's talking about Paul and all of his missionary journeys and all the things. In chapter 16, he begins to say us. So that's where I believe he came and got involved and started traveling with, with Paul. Now, he uses us for a little bit, then starts talking about them again. And then verse 20, he switches back to us. We traveled to there. We traveled here. We traveled there. Luke was with him. Now, Luke was a physician. A physician's, that was a, a noble job. That was somebody of, of, of place. It was like a, a, a professional businessman, much like a physician would be today. And here is Paul, the apostle of Jesus, who is the great healer who's traveling with a doctor. You know, I believe that Luke was probably a great help to Paul in a lot of ways, even in some natural things. We know that they, they struggled even with sicknesses and things like that. And so Luke was here following with Paul, going around, traveling with him, noting the shipwrecks, he himself being part of that. He was used by the Holy Spirit to write the majority, the majority of the New Testament. There's more actual written by Luke than, than any, any single other person, even though there's more books by Paul. He was faithful. 2 Timothy 4.11 says that Luke was faithful to the end. Don't you want to say that about you? He was faithful to the end. She was faithful to the end. Now, interesting that Paul puts Luke right next to this guy named Demas. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Demas is mentioned three times in the Bible, and his story is, is not as good. We talked about Epaphras being the man who prayed. Demas was the man who strayed. Demas was the man who strayed, like John Mark. But there's three mentions of him, Philemon 24. There, there Paul says, Demas, he's a fellow laborer. He, right here he just mentions his name, no title. The next time you see him mentioned is 2 Timothy 4.10. It says that he was a deserter, that he had left me. Demas has deserted me, and you hear nothing more about him. We don't know if he was ever reinstated. Paul never mentions him again. He strayed and maybe was never restored back because he loved this world too much. You know, we're all faced with that of, of choosing the Lord over the world. Demas chose the world. And on any given day, we've got to really fight because the world offers us some things that we think are pleasing. Christianity is not a bowl of cherries. It's not just roses. Some people just want to paint the Christian life that, oh, just accept Jesus and it's going to be all good from there. I disagree. I've heard your testimonies. You disagree. I don't know who says that. It's crazy. But it's not just crazy, it's wrong. It's wrong because if you promise all good things to somebody and then something bad happens, what are they supposed to think? Well, must be in sin or God must not be powerful. Something bad happened to me, so God's not on the throne. So sometimes, and, and I tell you, as I mentioned it, I don't know if I'd want to hang out with Paul too much because bad things tended to follow him. 
I mean, read the Bible. How can anyone get the gospel that God just wants to bless you and make your life good when you read the New Testament? People in chains and shipwrecks and getting bitten by snakes and riots and getting thrown off of, thrown off of cliffs nearly. And... That sounds pretty bad. Well, they broke bread house to house. There you go. You know, I mean, this is heavy stuff. So Demas, these things were happening, he, and the Bible says he loved the world. Not here, but in the other path. This is what we know of Demas' end. He loved the world and he's left me. So we had the, the comforters the man who prayed, the man who strayed. We have a few more characters here, and uh, you know, maybe they really were characters, not fictional, but, but he's really a character. We, we see after verse 14 and verse 15, it says, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. This is what we know about Nymphus. One, we don't even know if it was a male or a female. In fact, in my Bible, it says in his house. But I'll guarantee you, one of you says her house. Right? We don't even know if it was a he or a she. Because of the construct of the Greek language, it could have been nympha, which is the female, or nymphus. And so the New King James decided to be a male. Some of the other versions decided she was a female. And as far as I can tell, it was just that, going, I just lean towards this. So we don't know much about Nympha. Um, for some reason, I, I like to think of her as a her, so I disagree with my own Bible, but it's just a thinking. And we could just breeze by because it doesn't say, say much, greet Nympha and the church that is in her or his house. And you go, hmm, okay, let's move on. Stop. Because there's something great here. Someone who's not known. So much not known, we don't know if they're male or female. But there was a church in their house. This is important. They, Nympha was willing to open up the home and let the church meet there. Remember, the church is not on Rome's favorite list. So if the church is in your house and anything comes down from Rome, they're coming to your place. And I believe everything I read that the churches that met in people's houses, it wasn't a small group. It could be a large group because it was the church in the area. So, so sometimes packed out. You ever had 50 people over for Thanksgiving dinner at your house? People coming in to worship the Lord. When I think of, of China, and, and Jane, I don't know if you got to visit too many underground churches or anything, but get into a room of the believers in China and they're just packed, squished in like sardines, worshiping the Lord. She was opening her house to that. You know, being willing to give what you have is so important. Open-handed living, even at the threat that maybe it'll cost you something. Your lamp might get broken. For, for Nympho, it was, wow, what if this comes down bad and they raid my house and I'm hard, harboring Christians. So important. 
There's people here every week who they open up their home for life groups. They meet in my home. Such a great ministry to let people come and, and fellowship together with believers. To be part of that that place in your neighborhood. You know, you, you consistently have cars coming over one day a week. People go, something's happening there. And they, they begin to wonder why, and most of them figure it out quite quickly. Such a great thing to be open with what you have. Going on, there's, there's one other person we see here named. It's down in, in verse 17. It's the Archippus. Now, you compare Philemon with, with this section in Colossians, and this is what most scholars believe, is that he was probably part of Philemon's house, this Archippus. Um, actually part of his household and possibly Philemon's son and in all likelihood the pastor of the church that met there. So here's Archippus, probably son of Philemon, pastoring a home church, a house church. And Paul takes a moment to encourage him. He's probably just, he could be discouraged. Things could have been happening. Maybe he was buying into some of the, the other philosophies. And Paul takes the last portion here and says, Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Paul, very last thing, Archippus, don't give up. Take heed. You are called to ministry. Take heed to it. There's something good. You're in the Lord. The ministry's in the Lord. Know that. You are called. Be encouraged. So these are some of the, the characters that we see in the book of Colossians. We see Demas, who serves as a, of a reminder, a painful reminder to us that we need to remain steadfast all the way to the end. Don't give up. We see others who, whose whole ministry was simply encouraging or comforting. We see those mentioned like Barnabas, who, who was in his own right a, a missionary doing his big ministry. He was in the spotlight. But the things that happened in the first century church in the New Testament, they're due because of people who are faithful. They were faithful to the ministry. They did what they did with what they had. We can't sit back and say, I just wish I was something bigger or better. It was so important to take the messages of Paul to the churches, take the letters. It was so important to Paul that people would come. You know, you could read in some of his letters where he's just moaning. He says, everyone's left me. They've all, they've all gone, and I'm, only, I'm here with only so-and-so. You know, Paul needed that encouragement. The question is, is who are you? What has God called you to be? What gifts does God want to use of you? Do you want to be included in somebody's letter? Whose letter would you be included in? Robert has been faithful to me. Greet him. So thankful for Jim. He was there in difficult times. Are you in anybody's letter? Are you living your life beyond yourself? Serving, comforting, helping, being faithful to what God calls you to, even if it's not big. Some of you might be called to spotlight types of ministry. 
But ministry doesn't happen without people serving Him. We call Him God's support staff. You know, you, we, we hear about those who went to the moon, tried to go to the moon, but we don't hear about anyone who made it happen. What was the name of the person who invented the switch? The person who finally figured out that if you're going to have two air filters, you probably should have them the same shape. Where are you in the story? Where am I in the story? In order for the gospel to continue to spread, we need God's support staff. It can't be done by just a few missionaries, a few pastors, a few people in the front. So much needs to happen. So many people need to go to their neighbor. Epaphras, he took the gospel probably just to a a person or two and started the whole church in Colossae, and the church flourished. Are we willing to do whatever we can in service to the Lord, whether it's big or small? As Paul talked to Archippus, we could use that as an admonition to us this morning. As we say, God, I don't, I don't know what you have for me, but I'll be willing to do whatever you call me to. Let's receive this admonition that Paul says to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Take heed. God's given you a calling and a ministry. Open your eyes and begin to fulfill it. Being faithful, serving, serving the people around you, serving those in your life group, loving and serving your neighbors. Recently, our house has become the neighborhood kid hangout. I mean, they're just, they're there all the time now. Yeah, and I think we had eight, eight kids just, they're all knocking on our door. They want to play. They want to hang out at our house. Madeline's got all these girls that are just kind of flocking around her and she's starting a dog girl group and they go out in the evenings around five and they get all their dogs together in the street. It's so cute. So the girls come over and Samuel's got these little little boys. You know, I talk about Samuel being that rar kid. Well, he's got this eight-year-old boy who just wants, he wants, he's like, looks up to Samuel. He wants to come over. Can Samuel play? It's hard to open up our home to it. They're loud. You know, they're kind of messy. Are you willing to open up your home to whatever God would call you to open it up to? Are you willing to take whatever it is that you have and just say, God, I'll serve you with it. I'm going to encourage someone. I'm going to help. Take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord. Whatever you have, it's from God. Receive it and take heed to it and fulfill it. Fulfill it. Who's God calling you to be? Faithful? A servant? A fellow prisoner? I don't sign up for that one too quick. But I'll do it. You can be a new believer. Onesimus was a new believer. We'll take zealots too. People who are zealous. Pray like crazy and make you a little uncomfortable. We'll take those who are redeemed because of their failure. Some of you have had failures in your life. You can choose to be like John Mark or like Demas. The choice is yours. 
It's nobody else's. You, and it doesn't matter if there are people who are saying, yeah, but you failed, you failed, you failed. I kind of think that Paul, he was pretty pig-headed, it seems like. I have a feeling that for a while, Paul was no, not John Mark. Uh-uh, not him. We know he did at least once. But John Mark pressed through. Someone encouraged him. Be redeemed by the Lord. Serve him. And whatever our calling, whatever our ability, let's be faithful to him. As we close it, I say this to all of us as we close Colossians today. Grace be with you. It's all the grace of God. We can't do it without him. God, help us if we try. But God's grace upon us, never condemnation. Father, as we read this section, there's just a whole bunch of names with people that someday we'll actually get to know. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to find life in this passage and understand that you use people, not just the Pauls. God, but you use the Onesimuses, the Epaphrases. God, you use all who will surrender their life, who will not love the world more than you. Father, this morning, that's what we want to be. We want to be those who would not love this world. We would follow you. We would accept the things that you put in front of us, and we would take heed to the ministry that you call each and every one of us to. Opening our home, praying for a neighbor, bringing a meal, encouraging someone. Lord, let your gospel be expanded because of faithful men and women like those that are sitting here in this room today. God, let the gospel be preached and souls won, disciples made, lives changed, and on and on it'll go. Father, we uh, don't deserve to be called or used, but we receive your grace each and every moment of each and every day. Grace be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.